This episode is sponsored by Porkbun.com. Porkbun is a refreshingly different domain name registrar that's different from the other ones like GoDaddy or Namecheap. They've got low prices on hundreds of different domain extensions. They've got everything from .com domains to really cool ones like .pro, .dev, .xyz. Every domain name at Porkbun comes with tons of freebies too, like SSL certificate, who is privacy, DNS, URL forwarding, and hosting trials. Because why pay for things that should be free, right? All these incredible features and tools are backed by incredible support, 365 days a year, and more five-star reviews on Trustpilot from real customers than anyone else. Look, you can get a dollar off your next domain name from Porkbun and see why they're the best domain name register around by using our code. Just go to porkbun.com forward slash rocketchipfm24. That's porkbun, P-O-R-K-B-U-N dot com forward slash rocketchipfm24. You'll save a dollar on your next domain. As artificial intelligence continues to revolutionize our world, there's a critical conversation that we can't ignore, AI safety and security. And that's where HackerOne's AI red teaming comes into play, rigorously testing AI models to prevent them from being misled or exploited. With over 750 specialized hackers in their community, HackerOne isn't just theorizing, they're actively safeguarding AI's future. Just recently, a team unearthed over 100 vulnerabilities in just two weeks. So whether you're at the helm of a startup or steering product innovation at a large organization, it's time to prioritize AI security. Visit HackerOne.com slash AI safety security. Again, HackerOne.com slash AI safety security. This episode is brought to you by Gigantic. At Gigantic, you can level up your product skills through live, small group, cohort-based trainings. We're incredibly excited to welcome you to our next cohort of our product strategy training kicking off in January of 2024. This course will take you through the frameworks that product leaders use at companies like eBay, DoorDash, Groupon, Rent the Runway in order to scale their teams. It's taught by Ben Foster, a friend of this podcast, who is the former chief product officer at Whoop. So come join us. Go to gigantic.is. That's gigantic.is. And save your seat for our January cohort. Your potential is gigantic, and we're here to help you reach it. Go to gigantic.is to reserve your seat today. So, Mike, let me ask you something. When are you having the most fun as a product person? Having the most fun? Yeah, you know, like, what are some of the things that you have to do as a product person that when you're doing them, like, you're really enjoying? You're in the groove. Okay. Yeah, there's, I mean, there's definitely a few things that come to mind. Um, I, hearing from customers that our product has really helped them or solved this big problem that they've had, that, I love that for sure. Um, when I see people are buying the product, right, like that it's finally finding that product market fit, um, that is awesome too. Um, I think for me personally, though, I really enjoy launching new products, uh, like bringing something that's brand new into the world. Like that's an awesome feel. So if you love bringing a new product or feature into the world, how do you feel about taking it away? Like completely? 
completely just killing it off. I wouldn't like that very much at all. No, no, I figured you wouldn't. I, I don't like it either, right? No one no one really does. But sometimes, unfortunately, it's it's necessary. So today on Rocket Ship, it's exactly what we're gonna focus on. Welcome to Rocketship.fm. Rocketship FM is produced in partnership with Product Collective. We are your hosts, Michael Saka. And I'm Mike Belsito. So yes, this episode is about sunsetting features and products, killing them off. Um, and I know, by the way, in the last episode, we said we'd be talking about product growth next. And, and that episode is coming, but we're still working on it. So we thought we'd run with this episode. And it's based on a conversation that my partner at Product Collective, Paul McAvinci, had with Daria Axelrod Marmer, who's a product lead at HubSpot. Uh, she actually wrote this article for HubSpot called Killing It by Killing Features, um, which you should definitely check out. Um, but we had her on recently for an industry interview live video Q&A chat that Paul ran with her. Yeah, and that was an awesome conversation. And it's a necessary conversation because while people love to talk about bringing new products and features to life, nobody likes talking about when we have to kill them. And sometimes you do have to kill them. Yeah. Have you ever had to kill a feature? Actually, we're considering killing a feature right now at our conference industry. Really? Yeah. Yeah. And I'll talk about that a little bit later if you want. But okay. uh, first, here's Daria about when it's really time to make that move and kill a product or feature. It's when the cost of supporting them starts to grow. Um, as underlying technology needs to be updated, it costs a lot more to support features. And, you know, as a product manager, my tech lead may come to me and say, in order to keep this product running, we need to do a certain amount of tech maintenance on it. Um, and then as a product manager, I choose kind of, is, the, is it worth to do that maintenance right now? Or is it maybe time to um, send that feature out to pasture? So when the cost of supporting the feature grows beyond the value the feature brings, it may be time to cut that feature out altogether. And, you know, that makes sense from the business perspective. Sometimes when you launch a new product, the cost is low or maybe the value is much higher. But after some time, these costs and values, they change as, you know, it hits the market and hits reality. That's right. And that's why it's important to continue to monitor your features and products and make sure that this cost value alignment doesn't go too astray. So how often should we be doing the monitoring? Constantly? Well, the real answer, and I know it's a cop out, but... You're going to say it depends, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, yes, it does depend. Um, but here's Daria actually talking about how often she reviews this type of thing at HubSpot. I review the performance of the product as a whole, at least on a weekly basis, if not more frequently. But typically the features that are getting sunset are a lot smaller. Um, and so those get reviewed generally when the tech team comes back and says, hey, this is going to cost a lot to maintain or we need to make some updates here. And that's the time to go look back, make sure that all of the tracking metrics there on every part of the product are implemented so that you can look back in history on even small function features and functionality um, and see how it's been trending. Has it slowly been trending down uh, over time? Has it fallen off a cliff for some reason? Has something broken in it? Um, that's typically the time to uh, look at the usage of even small features. But how do you really know? 
You can review your features, but how do you know when that cost-value ratio is out of line? For sure, you need to have metrics in place, right? And that's going to vary from feature to feature, product to product, company to company in terms of what those actual metrics should be. But you can't really measure something if you don't have any metrics in place. And, and Daria actually does talk about this right here. Well, a lot of the times we see it in the metrics. Um, it's just what users tell us. And users will tell us if something is um, not used because it's bad or it's not used because it doesn't solve their, their answers. Or, um, and in those cases, sometimes it means that we can just double down on those areas when the tech becomes old um, and make it into something that's actually really great and new and refresh it. Um, or if it's just nobody really cares about it, uh, that's the time to think about pruning the feature. The opposite of love isn't actually hate. The opposite of love is indifference. So having indifferent customers is what we really try to avoid. Um, and that's the time to start thinking about like starting to take features and functionality out of that product to slowly wean customers off of it in order, in preparation really to kill it. Okay, so you're monitoring your features, you're checking it against your metrics, then look, you say, this feature's gotta go. Yeah, and that sounds pretty brutal when you put it like that. Yeah, and it does, and nobody likes it. But then what? I, I imagine you don't just cut it out of the code base, right? You have to have a plan in place. That's so true. I mean, think about all the stakeholders that are involved here. You have your own internal teams who rely on selling and servicing that feature or product. Uh, you have your customers. And while that cost value ratio might be off for most, um, that, for some people, that's not going to be the case. I mean, some people might actually love that product or feature. It might be their favorite one. This actually feels like the reverse pitch that you do when you're when you're trying to get a feature approved, right? You go to your stakeholders, you go to your customers, yeah. and you say, I want to do this. <laughs> and yeah. then, then when you cut it, you have to go back to those stakeholders and say, I don't know, this. <laughs> we got to kill this. So <laughs> where do you start? Yeah, no, I, but I think you're right on. Um, and, and Daria actually mentions where to start and kind of what to do when you're in this situation. If you know that you're going to remove a feature, the, the very first thing is just making sure that all the stakeholders are involved and understand the reasoning behind that decision. So surprises are never good uh, in an organization, but it's probably worst if it's on removing a feature. So it goes from product, marketing, sales, support, services, uh, everybody in the entire organization has to be aware that something is happening. And when you make that decision, the people who give you the most internal backlash is the, are the people who you want to spend the most time with, making sure that they're ready for the change and that they know how to uh, communicate that with their customers. So once you have internal alignment on a feature that is going to be deprecated. The next step is figuring out that marketing plan on how to tell users. And really the goal is for it to be a slow deprecation. So if you know that something is gonna be deprecated even a year in advance, you can start reducing the usage. You can put it in a less popular area of the app and you can start weaning people, giving people other options for doing that sort of, um, for accomplishing the goal that they're looking to accomplish. And once you start seeing that usage go down, you want to give people the option to switch into the new version, for example. And then 
you can say like, hey, you have 24 hour opt out from the old version. So you can opt out um, into the old version for a little bit of time, but then after 24 hours, you're gonna be opted into the new version. Um, and after you really do your best to wean people off naturally, that's when you let people know that as of a certain date, this feature is going to go away. And then on that date, you, you kill it. But you try to make that line as smooth as, as, as you possibly can. So no customers are really taken by surprise. There's definitely right a lot back. of after a quick word from our sponsors. There's definitely a lot of moving parts and a lot that can go wrong. Yeah. And, and sometimes a lot does go wrong. Uh, Daria was actually talking about her time at LinkedIn. Um, she was on the product team there, and they had made this decision to kill a product, and they ended up getting a ton of backlash for it. And what happened? So I'll tell you a story. Uh, I was a product manager at LinkedIn during this time, and we were working on a feature that had very, very low usage. It presented a privacy risk to us, and felt that it was time to end of life it. And so what we did is we actually, before we totally got rid of it, we kind of moved it into a slightly less prominent spot in the app. We decided on this as a team. We had PR in the room. We had marketing. We had legal, security, product management, engineering. Everybody decided this really as a collective, that this was the right thing to do. Uh, and we made the change some, somewhere on a Wednesday and one customer, one particular customer was very, very, very upset. And they took us to task and they took us to task by writing a popular blog post that got syndicated um, and really put LinkedIn in a negative light. It, it was really heart wrenching at that point. That was something like a Wednesday and by Saturday, uh, Jeff Weiner actually sent an email and said, this has gone too far. We need to restore the feature as it was. Uh, and again, that was a, we had a lot of backlash on it. And I think it says something that the CEO really had to get involved to roll it back because, you know, sometimes removing features hurts and one customer can have a really big outsized impact on that. Yikes. Oh, that's awful. I'm sure that a lot of thought and logic went into the decision to sunset that feature, but yeah, sometimes things happen, I guess. Yeah. And hey, nobody likes getting taken to task by their own customers in a very public way. Yeah. So with that kind of risk, yeah, literally, the chance that your own customers turn on you and publicly shame you for sunsetting something, I mean, should you even do it? Well, that's a good question. I mean, there is risk, but there are also benefits too. Um, for customers, the product gets really complicated. And what, as a product manager, what I'm always trying to do is provide both simplicity and power at the same time. So if you think about um, something as complicated as Excel, when you start open it up, it's really, really powerful. Is it simple? Is it simple to use when you see the first toolbars? Um, if it starts getting too crowded, you want to do a whole rethink of the way that customers are interacting with it. And that's a time that by killing features, you can streamline that process uh, better and make it even better for users. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. 
there's risk, yes, but you're taking that risk to make the experience better overall for your users and for your customers. That's right. And really, what's the alternative? Well, I mean, to be fair, there is an alternative. I mean, you could do nothing at all. Yeah, you could. Or you could double down and actually reinvest in that product or feature that you're considering killing. We have a lot of customers who hate the feature because it's not doing what they need it to do. That's the time to reinvest in it. Um, it's anytime that that option of should we kill it comes up, the choice is yes, kill it. No, let it kind of be in no man's land or reinvest in it and truly make it better. So that might be updating the tech stack that it's on adding additional functionality, really bringing it back to customers, doing that research and relaunching it in a way, in a package that's better. So to kill your feature, let it live or double down. That is the question. Okay, Shakespeare. So <laughs> after revisiting the conversation with Daria, you know, what's the feature that you're thinking about sunsetting for industry? Okay, so a couple years back, you know, we were actually in the very beginning, we were getting this feedback from customers that, hey, I'm coming to your conference, um, or rather I came to your conference and I had a great time. It was good learning from people. And I said, well, that's great. Like when, and you know, why did you come in the first place? And they said, well, I came to connect with people, to learn things. I'm like, great. And uh, let's take on the connecting with people, for instance. Like how well did industry help you do that? And he said, well, it, it it's not your fault, but I didn't really like have a ton of conversations. And I'm like, man, mm. like, why is that right like we have these happy hours like we have a lot of time for people to network and when i sort of dug in with them i remember some people sharing like well i you know i'm just an introverted person and you know like it's not your fault it's just hey when the time came to sort of network i just pulled open my laptop or you know i, I came by myself so i just sort of stayed by myself i, I went back to my hotel room and and that sort of thing which you know i it, when we're kind of looking back at it i totally get um, so we were trying to consider that and like figure out what to do. And a few years back, we introduced a feature, you know, so this is different than a software feature, right? But even still, we introduced this feature where people could opt in to be connected to other attendees. Like basically how it worked is I'd send this email and say, Hey, if you want to meet other attendees that are kind of like you, you know, I, let me know. And I will personally make a couple of introductions for you. And I had them fill out a survey on like, what they were looking for in, in meeting somebody, maybe like what they were specializing in, what their superpower was, what they wanted to learn. And then I would literally get the responses and I would hand match them, which, oh, wow. which is a monumental process actually. Like it seems like it wouldn't be, but if you're trying to match, like and truly match people to what their interests are and what they're looking for, and there's several hundred attendees, you know, that mm -hmm. opt in for something like that, it is a, it's a big undertaking. So we've done that um, the last three years, I think we've done it. And at first it was received really well. And it was probably like, you know, when we first introduced it, it was one of the things that people were talking about. But now we have all these other ways of sort of solving that problem. We put together these at attendee dinners that people can opt into. Um, we connect people through our mobile app. We've sort of designed some of the breaks um, where there's more serendipity in terms of running into people. We have small group discussions. So now I'm trying to figure out, is it really worth it? Like we didn't really get feedback one way or the other on it this past year. So I'm trying to figure out, gosh, knowing that in, in crunch time where my time is very precious, this is something that at this point would take me 
probably two to three full days to put that all together. Is it worth it? Yeah. That's a great question because it sounds like if people aren't uh, coming back to you and saying, oh, wow, you introduced me to this person. I, I grew this connection or um, no other conference has done that for me. If you're not earning that kind of positive feedback, it might not be worth yeah, it. I don't, right? I don't it's know. It's a ton of work. And right. Yeah. If, you're, if you are questioning it, um, that definitely sounds like the cost benefit probably isn't there. Yeah, and it goes to show you like in, again in the beginning there the value was way higher than maybe what it is right now because yeah. we're doing these other things. We have these other features, you know, that sort of solve that problem and the cost is is a lot higher. You know, when we only had yeah. 300 people coming to the conference, it's one thing for me to do that. Um, when we have a thousand plus coming, <laughs> that cost, you need a whole team yeah, you do. and you know, spending two to three days of my full attention on it might not sound like a lot, yeah. but when you're in crunch time, like the two weeks before the conference, those days are pretty precious. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, that's interesting. That's a tough choice. Really hard. Uh, cause I'm sure there's some people that got a lot of benefit out of it. Um, but I, I also think they would understand if you cut it, but replaced it with, with features that also accomplish the same goal. Yes. Uh, I'm sure attendees would, would appreciate that and understand. Yeah. And you know what? We're always looking to introduce new features too. And when we do every single year, there's, there's something that we're trying. So yeah, if we do end up cutting this and I'm not quite sure what we're going to do quite yet, but if we do, it only means that we're probably going to be doing even more things that hopefully will have even more value too. Well, keep us updated on what you decide to do. And uh, we'll be back here next week with even more product discussion here on Rocketship FM. Thank you so much for listening to Rocketship.fm. It's your support that keeps the show going. Rocketship.fm is now part of the Podglomerate Network. If you want to learn more about the other shows on the Podglomerate Network, go to thepodglomerate.com. Rocketship.fm is produced in partnership with Product Collective, a community for product people. If you go to productcollective.com, you could check out live video interviews, sign up for our newsletter, be a part of our Slack group with over 6,000 product people. Just check it out at productcollective.com.